that all I need lies. I just love the skating and the scene. Rain, rain, go away. All I need is a skateboard today. Board today. This is the Shetler Show featuring professional skateboarder, podcaster, and All I Need Skate founder, Anthony Shetler. So everyone was, it was hot. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they're looking for their dad's fucking metal skateboards in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, yeah. Get on this thing. <laughs> Each episode brings you amazing discussions with interesting people from all walks of life. Kind of when skateboarding clicked for me and you learn some tricks or whatever and you get that appreciation from your peers, you know, the other skaters are like, holy shit, like, yeah, dude, that's rad. Admiration. Yeah, yeah the admiration or the, the affirmation. Real. Recognize real. If I didn't experience those crazy moments my life, then these great moments would never be as great as they have been. Honestly, like for me, I just loved it. Like I saw those dudes, I saw those videos, and I was like, holy fuck, this is sick. Yeah. This is what I want to do. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. And as always, each and every episode is brought to you by All I Need. And what I want to do today is I want to give away some of our brand new All I Need skate socks. If you want to win a pair, all you got to do is share this episode on your Facebook page and tag me, at Anthony Shetler. Uh, I'll probably pick three winners, uh, and I'll announce them on the next podcast that I drop. So yeah, please, that's a rad way to help support this podcast and help it grow by sharing it on your Facebook, and that only takes a second, and you could possibly win some of our brand new socks. Also, please check out our website, alliniedskate.com. That's our portal. That's where we put all of our videos, all of our podcasts, all of our flyers for our live skate events that we have coming up. Uh, We also have our online skate shop with our brand new Wartime Animal Series, which I'm so fucking hyped on. I uh, hope you guys at least just go there to check him out, man. Peter Peter James Glenn does all the artwork, and he's just crushing it, man. I'm so proud of everything we're doing with All I Need, and uh, it means a lot that you guys listen to this podcast and help support it. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys. You guys are epic. And uh, yeah, check out allineedskate.com, and if you want to win some socks, just share this episode on your Facebook page and tag me, at Anthony Shetler, and I will pick three winners and announce them on the next episode I drop. Today's episode is with legendary Todd Falcon. Todd is an original human, let me just say that. And he has been recording his whole life, pretty much since he was born. And he's working on a crazy epic film that he titled Skateboard Revelations that is dropping soon. And he has claimed to invent over a thousand original skateboard tricks and he's he's just been a bit of ahead of his time for a while now i really enjoyed this conversation man i wasn't sure what was going on or what i was getting into but i'm really hyped i got to meet todd and i'm I'm hyped to introduce you guys to him todd first let me just say thank you for coming on the show man 
Hey, thank you, Anthony. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to, to do any show, you know, that's especially in favor of skateboarding for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's perfect, man. What was the original spark that got you tuned into skateboarding? Well, I, it may be because I had an older sister who's nine years older and she had a banana board in the seventies and, you know, monkey see monkey do. I obviously liked what she was doing rolling around on it. So I grabbed me a banana board and, uh, folks wound up getting me my own and I just kind of went off from there and did my own thing, you know. Nice. Those things are hard to ride, huh? Yeah, they really are. The wheels are kind of buttered up close to each other, you know, and there's really no trucks. <laughs> they're fun, They're fun, but like your feet just hang off that thing and there's like not much you can really get down on. They're kind of flexible too, right? Yeah, for sure. You can stand in the middle and if my 50 or 60 pounds, it would kind of buckle down a little bit. <laughs> Nice. But they never broke. They were very resilient. So I will say that about them strong. Nice. And where yeah. where did you start skating? Texas? Oh, yeah. Just, you know, literally right around the home when uh, my sister got the board and I started riding hers. It was, okay, well, we'll just learn how to roll down the, the concrete driveway and whatnot and go around the circles and the cul-de-sacs. And <laughs> that was it. You know, there was not really any any tricking yet. It was just, hey, that's where it started. And that's we just literally rolled. That was it. How old are you now? 45 now. Nice. Congratulations. Started when I was four, so. Holy shit. That's when you first got the banana board? 1976. Damn. Yeah. Deep. How, how was growing up in Texas? Well, I've never left it, so uh, for me it's great. I don't know of anything else. <laughs> it's the only thing I know, but, you know, I've always loved it. It's, uh, the weather is nutty, for sure. It's, uh hot and cold and not cold from one day to the next like a tennis match but other than the weather you know it's uh everything's big in texas as they say so i like to stay you know dear and dear to it yeah so you've never lived anywhere else have you you've traveled outside of texas though i have traveled for sure but never lived anywhere other than near houston for the first 40 something years of my life and for the last two and a half to three uh, i moved over to east texas so closer to dallas now nice a little different mm -hmm. What was that? A little different? Oh, yeah, very different. It's the country. Literally, the country. Like, um, it's a trek back into the woods to find our home. You know, you go on roads and you see nothing but pasture, cows. I mean, it's literally the country. For miles, you trek back and trek back, and you everything looks the same. And all the roads out here are named by numbers to confuse people even more so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very, you know, country, literally. And uh, I visited this place my whole life as a kid and have family here, lots and lots of family here. So decision to move up here was really based on let's get my daughter in a safer environment. You know, it was getting kind of, you know, violent in, in Houston. Nine million people. So, you know, it's bound to happen. So we're just kind of getting into a quieter environment. And, uh, yeah, love of the country. Yeah, that's awesome. All my family members are moving to Maine. I live like an hour from Boston, so I'm near the city, and I'm like right. a ha half an hour from Providence, but all my family is moving to the middle of Maine, to the woods, which is crazy to me, but <laughs> maybe because I'm, I'm like still, I'm 35, so like my sister's like 40-something, my aunt's up there, my grandparents are up there, and they're all like a little bit older than me, but they've decided to go to the woods. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I love it, man. Uh, 
more than uh, three quarters of my life, almost four quarters of my life, has not only been skateboarding, but making horror films. So living in the country for me is a goldmine of heaven for horror. <laughs> you know, woods and isolation, everything you need for a great slasher film all around us now. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, man. And it's funny because, like, same with Maine. Isn't that where Stephen King's from? And he's a horror writer, I believe. Or Alaska? Is he from Alaska or Maine? One or the other. I don't really remember where he's from, but he's a genius where he's from, you know? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's from somewhere where it's isolated and there's nothing but your thoughts. And if you're into something creepy, you could go yeah. crazy. <laughs> you know, isolation is great when you're writing horror and when you're... I guess skating at the level I got to, I think isolation almost became a requirement. We can get into that later, but yeah, sometimes it's actually a good thing. Yeah, I could tell. I was like, I mean, I've I've known about your skating for a long time. Even when I was like little, I remember looking online and even before that, seeing on some videos and stuff and just seeing you skate. And, and I know you do a lot of skating like in your garage and just kind of isolated. Is that just like, no, you just that's where you end up is in the garage on the quarter pipe or something? Well, it was probably, I guess, the same type of deal that really all my friends were doing. If, if they had a yard or a place to build a ramp, they built them, and they skated their own ramps daily, and as would I. So my deal came up where I was, oh, i got a garage space. Uh, Dad, can I build a half pipe in the other half of the garage as long as we can park up in another car? Okay. <laughs> you know, so that was the deal. It was like, okay, cool. So now I can skate indoor in a garage. It doesn't matter what the weather is. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's dark, white, or whatever. It is always able to be skated, you know, within reason. So it was really a convenience thing. But my home away from home is in a major factor in my life is the skate park of Houston. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Very legendary place. Yeah, I have. I've heard of it. Okay, great. Uh, Tony Hawk won several competitions there himself, and I met a lot of pros there and skated with a lot of pros there and really grew up there. Uh, outside of my home, I was always at the skate park in Houston or going to any one of my friends' backyard ramp champs. I think what's happened, though, because a lot of people have seen clips on YouTube and whatnot, seen this garage, they don't realize that I've skated actually everything all over the place, uh, you know, and my film will convey that as well. But again, it was a matter of convenience. Here's my ramp, and I've got ideas. I'm going to go right now because there's no gas, there's no trap. It's right in there, bam. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I love it because I just know that itch when you're, like, sitting there and you got nothing to do and all you're daydreaming about is tricks and things you can do. And just being by yourself sometimes in a basement or on a quarter pipe or a mini ramp, it's like, there's something really uh, therapeutic and fun about that to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, very much a people person. Like, I love people, and I'm the type of dude that gets along with everybody. Like, everybody's my best friend. As long as anyone's cool with me, I'm cool with everybody. So I always wanted to skate with friends. But what inevitably happened was my friends all quit skating, and I did not. And I was literally the only one left. And I was in that garage every night for the next seven, eight solid years. My friends were all off doing whatever they're doing in their lives. I never stopped, so it was a need to focus. Then I got so used to that isolation that I found it was easier to invent these completely impossible outlandish things if I had total focus and isolation. Nice. Well, we'll take it back to the skate park. Like, so when you were younger, you saw these demos and Tony Hawk, and you got to meet these pros. That seems like a pretty epic opportunity. It was an interesting time, but I, I have this strange detachment from reality 
that I always picture it as a movie, and I say very often my life is a movie because I'm making a movie about my life my entire life. So everything I approach, I've always got a camera to my face. So being there, filming the pros, doing the contest, you know, I had the camera to my eye. So I was fixated on filming whatever I was filming so that I could enjoy it later. I was not, like, uh, freaking out or whatever. It was just, like, make this real, capture this, live it, record it, and make it part of your history somehow, you know, a, a chapter in your life that you got to, to enjoy. And it was always the need to capture and preserve life as it happens so that you can always go back and look. You know, as we get older, our memories fade. And if you don't have something tangible to look at, that's all you have is the memory. And for me, I always wanted to be able to constantly, literally relive it by sitting there and putting that VHS tape or that dusty Betamax or whatever. I could always go and find anything. So being in skate parks and filming, meeting pros, it was, again... I was always fixated on just enjoying that moment and capturing it for life. Yeah, you seem like you're a little bit ahead of your time because nowadays it seems like you fit right in, you know, like as far as capturing and creating content and just being uh, really proactive in that sense. Yeah, my whole life was recorded from my birth on up, so I found a recorder at age four and I just kept right on going. <laughs> By the time, I guess, 1980 rolled around, I picked up my dad's Super 8 film camera because he was making films of us, and we are shooting on actual film and cutting and editing. And I had such an obsession with horror films and a need to make my own films that I decided to pick up dad's camera without any instruction from dad, which I found out later he didn't know how to do anything with the technology anyway. <laughs> so I, it was hopeless asking dad. I learned how to do it all, I mean, everything, you know, from shooting and then finding dad's mixer hey what's this dad that's an audio mixer can i have this sure sits there for years covered up never being used take it upstairs and I'll put all these jacks and hook them up and next thing i know you know i've got vinyl records spinning for the soundtrack you know going into this mixer vhs tapes playing out of vcrs dumbing over to other machines soundtrack feeding and i got a microphone and i'm doing the sound effects or the voiceovers you know i kind of have my own little studio set up way back i guess in the early 80s, you know, 1980s onward, really. Yeah. And that's just kind of what I've always been used to is I've learned how to do it on my own, so I keep on doing what I know how to do. And it began back in those days. It, it's strange because it seems like skateboarders, like, it's funny, like, skateboarders kind of, like, were ahead of the curve on filming and editing and stuff because we always wanted to capture our skating. Like, I remember the same thing, like, rigging up VCR to VCR and just, like, trying to figure it out. Never going to school for it, but just, like, fucking DIY, figure this out, just because we wanted to capture the, these things we were working yeah. hard on. And it's like, it makes sense that it goes hand in hand and that it would transition well into making films, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and again, you know, the, the term DIY, I've always believed in, well, if you want something, you do it yourself. You make it happen yourself. Uh, you create it yourself, or it won't exist otherwise. And really... Just about anything you can think of, there's almost always a tangible or possible or feasible way to get from point A to point B. The mind and the body and the spirit is an incredibly powerful thing, and it can be totally way beyond what anyone puts. You know, what do they say, that we use 10% of our brains or something? Yeah, I believe we don't know our full potential, for sure, right. as individuals. So, yeah, and having always heard that from my teachers in school, I'm like, Am I tapping into further? I really don't know. I don't know what I would be told by a medical professional, but I've always tried to tap into more and tried to get more 
power, strength, stamina, balance, focus, energy into whatever it is that I'm creating. So I always found, you know, those are things that people can really hone their skills on, and it's there for everyone. We just have to figure out how to find it and how to channel it. Yeah, yeah. It's harder and harder, I imagine, these days for kids or people to find focus and shit with all the, every, everything's at your fingertips. It can pull you every which way. That's, go, it kind of goes back to skating in a garage by yourself. Just focused on something is like, kind of helps build that, um, characteristic in you, you know? Cause a lot of it is like people, some people give up too early, you know? It's like they have these goals and they give up too early or they're not dreaming big enough. Like some people, I don't know. I've always been like, if I only dreamt to be a pro skateboarder, that would have been over 10 years ago, you know? Like, I did that, and then you gotta keep adapting and moving and not give up on something just because you, you know, you reach the height or whatever. You gotta keep going, you know? That's something I yeah. think skating helps us with. Yes, there, there is no end. There is no limit. There's no stopping point. When you really love something, that's just like you said, uh, why, why stop? Uh, why, why let anyone tell you, why are you still doing this? You're 25. Why are you still doing this, Todd? You're 45. They'll ask me that when I'm 75. <laughs> <laughs> and by then I will be doing Falcon Plant 1580s to revert on my head. Who knows? <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's amazing. That inspires me fully. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate that. That's great. That's what it's all about. You know, I had inspirations growing up as a kid and, uh, I always admired most the people that did not live inside of this little square frame that I'm looking at on my phone, which is known as a box, uh, a set of rules, if you will. I'm very much, I'm the guy that says there are no rules in skateboarding. I've been saying it since 1980. Nobody would listen. No, Todd, you got to skate the way everyone else. You can't do this trick. You can't do that trick. Uh, that doesn't count. All these types of things, I'm heard. I'm like, well, I just did it. What are you, you going to stop me? <laughs> Am I stupid for doing? No one ever had a comeback. They just said, you can't do that, Todd. I'm like, why? Yeah. We're here to enjoy our lives. And I just decided to start breaking boundaries because I saw that there was no limitations. So, again, like you just said, why stop? Yeah. I like, I like that. What I like about you or what I picked up from an outside perspective is that you didn't, no one gave it to you. You just created a niche and did what you wanted and you just kept at it. And I like that because I think nowadays, or maybe, maybe not, but I think there's been this thing in skateboarding where people want to get sponsored or have it given to them or something like that. And I'm always like, that's not really the way, man. If you want something like you were saying earlier, just pursue it and go after it and don't wait for someone to give it to you. Build it. It's your own creation. It's your own design. Like, go for it, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I've never understood the anger, hate, criticism at the core, other than I'm assuming it, it stems from jealousy or anger, unaccomplishment perhaps, insecurity, maybe these types of things motivate people to try and knock people down who are actually doing something, but I ignored it every single time, and I tell people time and time again, I don't absorb the negative comments, I read them, I laugh at your stupidity, and I move right along, because I don't believe in negativity. I'm 100% confident, and that's the way everyone should be or strive to be, and as tough as it may be in this world to be that way, sure, we all have our down times and our, our hard times in life, and maybe we've all been through some serious, serious shit, which I've got stories, you know, I would never share with the world I've been through. We all have hardships and triumphs and whatnot, but maintaining the positive mind frame is the only frame I want to be in, period. Yeah. Because uh, that creates the limitless frame that 
that exists there. There is no border to creativity. And to be able to utilize it to your absolute maximum potential, to me, is what it is there for. Yeah, I like that. That's beautiful. And, and to be, and truth be said, a lot of people get in their own ways. And I, like I've done that, you know, I focused on the wrong things. I like, you know, that's where jealousy comes from. Or like you just sometimes we trip over ourselves, especially when we're growing up and you you don't really know what you believe or who you are, and you're trying to figure shit out, and you just uh you're tracking your emotions and you just fucking you make mistakes you know but but i agree it's like ultimately the ideal is to get better and understand who you are and find things to work on and focus on and, and find people that are doing the same and work in the same direction and and i think the more of us that focus on you know that positivity instead of focusing on that negative negativity and tearing each other down the more the possibilities open up we can work together and build crazy things as well you know it's like endless for sure that you 100% just captured the essence of what I'm about and, and what I've told my friends and uh, a long time ago, and back in the late 80s, I, I formed a, a skate team, you know, just for fun. We called ourselves Team Extreme. I talked about this in my film. And we wound up eight, nine, ten members over two or three years, and I made nine full-length skate films. With wow. these, and we took it very seriously, but at the same time having fun. But the thing was, we were not once, or I wasn't, I will speak for myself, I don't know about the other guys, but not once in my life have I ever been competitive with another human essence or soul or person. Uh, I am self-competitive against, you know, here, against breaking my own boundaries and my own boxes and my own, you know, borders and shattering them away. It was never a need to try to beat anyone at any point. It was a need to be able to accomplish anything, no matter what you set your mind on. And when we all skated that way together, all of my team members wound up breaking little barriers in what they were doing. You know, like the street guys, you know, they just started learning like the latest, hardest tricks that pros were doing and things that I couldn't even do. And so we fed off of each other's positive energy that way. Yeah, that's good, man. It means you're aware of your own uh, gifts, your own, your body, your own perspective, the power you harness yourself. It's like, you have to be really self-aware. It's hard for people, though, you know, because like that with that, you have to kind of look at yourself and see where you can fix yourself and what mistakes you have. And you can't be too hard on yourself. And it's like a continual process, I'm sure, until we're gone. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, crazy. Oh, it's, a, it's a tremendous process, you know, uh, going back to learning the very beginnings of skating. And I'm remembering trying to learn to Ollie was probably one of the hardest things I ever did when I first started. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a and when I got that appreciation of wow, this is the the balance, the power, the stamina, and the strength, and the focus it takes to make an ollie. When you my friend make that first one, you realize all of those things, and then it's like, man, you got to do this for everything. <laughs> yeah, so it changes your perspective. But skaters uh, that were the hater skaters and made fun of or said negative things were I always noticed were the ones who were not doing what I was doing. So I constantly would say. Well, have you tried it? And the answer was inevitably always no. And I said, then there you go. You have no knowledge and experience of what you speak. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Shut up and go skate. <laughs> yeah, shut up and skate. What, so, so how did... Let, actually, I, I got two things. But first, I'll ask you, you met Tony Hawk? I didn't meet him in person, to be honest. I watched him from afar, and I filmed him a couple times. Yeah, did you? Because I, I was reading online that was like a, the, the name of a trick was in the, one of his video games, the Falcon Slide. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. All that, that was a whole interesting time. That was around 2002 or so. What happened was uh, Big Brother Magazine. Yes, love that magazine. Big Brother Magazine. They, they contacted me for a cover story, of which obviously, hell yeah, uh, because I had sent a sponsor video to uh, Berghaus. Nice. And I kept getting a bunch of phone calls from Berghaus, and even Rodney Mullen called me up and said, you're on a completely different level, and I've never forgotten that phrase. And I was like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear, because I want to be on a completely different level. A future level that is so far in advance that it'll be at least two decades before they get there. And two decades later, that is exactly what I've seen. <laughs> it was exciting. But meeting him, not personally and directly, because he showed up at the skate park in Houston and did his, you know, his competitions. But I never made it a point to ever try to meet anyone if they walked up or they were accessible, sure. But I liked, again, to observe and film. So that was it for me. Observing and filming. Yeah. I'm gonna do the same thing you're doing as soon as I get back home. <laughs> yeah, I like to smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, me too. I just toked it before I came up here and did the zoo yesterday. Nice, yeah. Uh it helps me with my arthritis. And I actually had vertigo for like six months and it kept lingering, it would not go away and, and I didn't smoke weed prior to that. Well I did when I was real young, but I was like um 28 and I came down with vertigo and I was getting paid to skateboard and literally in my contract it was like if you don't skate in six months and months and don't produce anything like we can cut your pay and you're done so I'm like it's six months I haven't touched my board I still feel like the room's spinning and like headaches and then my friend uh, Mike Franklin was just like dude fucking smoke some weed and like I didn't want to smoke weed because I was being real frugal and like I, I, like you were talking about earlier, I grew up in like a crazy background, family fell apart, I had a lot of issues and I didn't want to be unstable from just messing with my emotions, I want to figure out who I was, what I believed, how I felt before I indulged in any drugs, you know, and uh, but no, smoked some weed and fucking it nipped the vertigo in the bud, in the butt, and it was done after that, I was like, this is amazing, it was at the end, it was lingering and it just cleared it up at the end, you know. It's, it's incredibly medicinal. I cannot wait till it's legal everywhere. It's just the stupidest thing on planet Earth. It's something natural grown that is medicinal as it is. Is illegal when, you know, realistically, how many times have you heard somebody has died from a drunken stumbled driving accident? Dude. You know, you get more aware. You're, you're more hyper-focused. You're beyond, I, I used to say the phrase beyond focus because it's very true. You pay so much more attention. Your reflexes are faster. Your thinking's faster and, Plus, it's good for all your physical ailments, you know. I've had decades of skate injuries behind me, so, you know, my end of it is very medicinal for those purposes as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love it, dude. I, I just say any, any drugs we consume, we do it in moderation. Because, like, if I have a day where I drink too much coffee, I get a hangover from that shit, and I'm just, like, strung out, my adrenaline's done, and it's like, I mean, right. it, it sucks because it's all hypocrisy and it's all politics. People with money fighting over which drugs they can sell to you and which ones they can't. And it's like, it's so much, it's so obvious. It's 2018 and there's too much information out there. And it's like embarrassing as a culture that there's like lopsided. The fact that people are still locked up in prison for selling drugs, for selling weed, you know what I mean? Or buying weed or whatever, like blows my mind. I'm like, injustice. Oh, yeah. It, it's horrible. It's like so many tax dollars are being wasted protect, you know, to deal with that kind of thing when they should be going to the greater problems. You know, these guys are <laughs> doing something that is soon not even going to be illegal, so it's really foolish, I think. But, you know, yeah. I'm not in a position of power, so what can I do? No, I were elected 
away with the internet. <laughs> yeah, with the internet. I, yeah, I, you know, it's it, it, because unfortunately, it's 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 one of those things that I grew up free internet and used to make a lot of money, and now that the internet exists and move, move, what I do, you know, make filmmaking and all that, pirating the bootlegging, you know, I'm I don't make a lot of money anymore, and it's very hard to do what I do, but if. And I kept thinking, you know, pre-internet days, everything was different. People bought the actual product and, you know, supported it. Yeah. And now it's, they just want to rip it, download it, or even put it up for free on YouTube, you know. So it, it hurts people like me and millions of other filmmakers, um, skaters, and whatnot. They're trying to make a living doing it. So for me, I would just, like, find a way, I suppose, to moderate it at some level that the artist can still make money. You know, but people need to buy the physical product and not just be able to rip it and sell it for free and whatnot. Yeah, nowadays it's hard for artists to make money, for sure. I'll agree on that one. Crazy. It's crazy to me because humans are the only thing that make things worthwhile. Like, things by themselves have no pulse, no passion, no love, no energy, like... They're dormant, you know? They're dormant until someone gives it value. Just like a skateboard. It's like, it's just a fucking skateboard until someone who's creative or expressive picks it up and does something epic with it, and then it turns into something insane, you know? Like, but yeah, yeah. can't make a living doing that shit. <laughs> it's very hard anyways. I can't say you can't, but it's hard nowadays, like, for sure. Even music, like, and films, like you were saying, films too. Like, I can't imagine. It's just insane. What, uh, so... Yeah, it, So, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's, uh... As hard as it is to do these types of things today, my line of thinking a long time ago was, I kind of knew that, that this day was coming where we would, uh... It'd be like the cartoon The Jetsons where you can hold up a, a camera and put it in your pocket. Well, we're here. You know, the, the camera has the apps, and it has internet, it has, it's like all this stuff, movies and HD, and I already knew that it was going this way. Yeah. So I decided a time ago, well, then start making the movie about your entire life, pre-internet, pre-digital, pre-a lot of things, <laughs> and then come out with it in 20, it's going to be this year, I believe, this summer, after 34 solid years of working on what I'm hoping will be the most epic film in skate history. Dude. Skateboarding relations journey to the final level is getting close to, to done. and uh, But it's it's a lifelong filming effort to show creativity at its absolute max. Uh, not just with skateboarding, but with movies and music as well. 95% of the, the focus of the film is the, the tricks and the skateboarding and taking it to the furthest, most epic levels I could dream of. But it will touch upon, you know, the music, which, you know, I scored the entire soundtrack by writing a brand new album. Wow. Uh, 100% of the music, vocals, drums, bass, guitar, 100% of everything. Uh, score, editing, filming, you know, mostly just some stuff I've done my whole life. And then my friends who I grew up with that filmed me, yada, yada, that type of thing. But it's there to push skateboarding into the future that I am now seeing happen today that I started in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now they're all doing the, uh, I've seen so many kids doing the Falcon Plant stuff, which is, you know, the teeter-totter on the foot and throwing it from one foot to the, and they're doing this stuff. And that's like 20 years ago for me. So I'm seeing, well, that's what the purpose of this film was, is make it, and then 20 years later, when what you're doing is finally caught on, 
film will come out and everyone can see the history of, you know, everything that's going on. Yeah, like the full timeline. That'll be trippy to see that, man. Yeah. So how, how did it, how did the name, did he just, they just incorporated the name of that trick into the video game? That's pretty wild. Were you like, oh. how, how'd you find out? You played it? Okay. okay, yeah, going back to that, uh, that again resulted from, since a sponsorship video, then Big Brother comes wanting to do the story. And then right after that, it was Neversoft Entertainment, who was the developer of the Pro Skater Games for Activision, contacted me and said, we would like to use the Falcon slide in the video game. Wow. So, of course, hell yes. How much do I get paid? Nothing. <laughs> Fuck you, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I don't really have any other writing this game. Like, okay, let's do it. Anyway. So, <laughs> do it. Did it. It's done. It's cool. You know. No money, but it's cool. <laughs> that's epic. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy. Wild, you know. At yeah. the same time. That's crazy that they reached out to you, like, and just did that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of was a whirlwind. A lot of things like that kind of went on, and then did some touring and made several skate videos. But uh, inevitably, wound up going back into the film I'm still making today and trying to get that one together so that the world can see, again, what I hope will be a movie that will change skateboarding forever. Not only present, but a whole lot of the past. Because, you know, and I'm not a credit seeker or grabber. That's not what the film's about either. It was about, okay, I wanted to be the first to do yada yada, so I did it 20 years ago. But the film presents it as a historical fact. It was filmed, it was documented, so that people will know where all these tricks are coming from. Because there is a giant confusion now. Uh, because a lot of skaters don't do what I did growing up. They film a lot of the clips, yeah. But I decided to catalog and list every single one of them in a Microsoft document that went on for 20 years. Right. And it printed over five inches thick. It stopped at, stopped at 3,000. <laughs> and I've got at least 6,000 undocumented tricks. Nice. And I'm not even kidding. So I only had time to write and type so much and document so much. Uh, but, you know, again, that's what the film is to kind of show. Uh, a guy like me who decided to have a dream and a vision of, I want to do the most epic skateboarding film in the world where I'm going to try to invent over a thousand or completely original tricks that have never been done before. That was, that's how the film began. I wanted to invent 1,000 tricks. And I literally, you know, kind of had a vision or a voice that kind of said, you need to do this. And it happened while I was watching The Search for Animal Chin in 1987, which is a Powell Peralta, you know, Bones Brigade 3 epic film. Uh, and while watching an Animal Chin film was about this mythical skater who was said to be from the future that was doing tricks that no one could comprehend or understand. And the voice was telling me in my head, that's you, they're talking about you. You have to do these things. And so I took it literal, and 34 years later, I'm still taking it literal and finishing it up. But it was all about inventing as many tricks and having the most tricks in skateboarding history and then showing here they all are and hope that the world enjoys it, loves it, and respects it and will hopefully donate monies towards the cause of me filming this for 34 years and I can open up a skate park and maybe have Todd Hawkins' super technical skater video game and put all these pros that do outlandish tricks in there and the ability to design and create your own original tricks in the game, you know, this is what I want to do. Whoa, whoa, so you... if I'm skateboarding and supported that way, 
you will all see these things. Well, that's a cool concept to be able to invent a trick online and then just like act it out, you know, like and then have your like have a score or something or like credit for that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, you're already on your way, dude. The first part, the first step in doing that is filming it all and doing all those tricks, and then, like, you're already on your way to building that little vision. That's beautiful. Well, I appreciate it, and I'll tell you, it's I'm, I'm very lucky now to be sitting here talking to you or anyone about it because I'm the only person on planet Earth who ever conceived this idea. So, in a way, that factually is film history changing. So I'm hoping that that leverage of, me being the first, because anyone can do it now. We've all got the iPhone. So start filming your entire life. You could film it every single day and capture even more than I did. But I started pre-internet, pre-digital, you know, VHS, beta, Super 8 film days. And I managed to do it all when it was incredibly hard. And I'm still doing it into the digital age and the iPhone era and all that stuff. So I'm hoping that people will find that inspiring and the persevering, you know, endeavor to make a two-hour epic on inventing as many skateboard tricks as possible and hoping to maybe have a television series out of it because I've got enough footage to make 25 sequels or a television show or a pilot or a spinoff or whatever. I've got so much footage, it's never-ending. So my line of thinking was that if you paint this picture for yourself over these next several decades and never tell anyone you're making this movie, you will be the first. And because of that, hopefully, your entire future will go bam on that day when that film is released, and hopefully, God willing, we'll see, you know, good things will happen from all of this. Well, that kind of, that, this kind of, I wanted to go off the topic here a little bit, and if you don't mind me asking, are you religious at all? Because you said God willing, and then prior to that, I was already thinking. Well, you know, and the film touches on this very, very briefly, but I was born and raised as a Baptist Christian, and very much a believer of God, because once again, you know, and even if there is none or this or that or whoever your God is or whatever, the point is it's a very positive embodiment. And why choose to believe in something negative, you know, like Satan and be caught in that negative world uh, where there's anger and, you know, all that type of stuff, when you can choose positivity. So my thing was, all right, well, my sister was very much a rebellion of God and still is to this day. She's a devout Satan. And we'll tell you that, and we'll say the most hateful of things about God. And I do not, once again, just like a hater telling me something bad, I do not hear you, I don't listen, I do not care. You Tomatoes, tomatoes, it's all good. I don't hate you for believing what you believe by any means. And I won't tell you to believe what you should or shouldn't. But what I personally enjoy is the positivity. And so my belief, my personal belief, is that the voice that commanded me watching Animal Chin was in fact God. It doesn't make sense for it to be anyone else. Because at that time, I was like 15 or 16, you know, becoming a teenager and trying to figure out what's going on. And here's this voice that commands me to do this film and start making it now. And when you're in your mid-40s, it says, it's going to come together. Well, here it is. And the movie's almost done. And I've got about a month left to finish it up. 34 years in the making. So I'm following, you know, what I was told to do and I believe in it myself I think that good things will come because it's perseverance and once again a capturing of uh, a lot of skateboard history and hopefully one that will be seen and understood yeah it's crazy because life is the thing about life is like it's so long like people don't think about that especially when you're little it's like 
you don't picture getting old, you know? You don't picture being 60 or 70. It's hard to, like... And, then, like, we were kind of touching on this before. It's, like, you got to have dreams for your whole life. You can't just, like... A lot of people just think, I just want to get rich. And that's, like, their whole thing. And it's, like... It's, like... There's a whole life, you know? Like, even if you got to the mountaintop, you're going to be bored after a while. You know what I mean? Like, you still got to keep... Like, there's no escaping work in some sense or duty or, like, purpose. You know? Like... That's the goal to find. That's amazing that you've had that sense of purpose. Yeah, uh, I'm also a kid at heart forever. And just like you said, uh, I do not fathom the word, the three-letter word age. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm still the exact same kid from 1984 that started making this I'm just as immature, stupid, wild, crazy, full of hyperactive disorders, ADHD, OCD, whatever, you name it. I've got it. I do not care. Yeah, yeah. Life is long. I worry about people. I worry about kids and stuff because nowadays it's like you can see everything at your at your fingertips. You can see everything, everything you want or desire, and you see other people doing it and living it. And like, you know, people go through hardship and they can get resentful and angry. And it's just like it's different than pre-internet. You know, it's like. Nowadays, it's insane. It's really crazy to me. It scares me a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. I've got a three-year-old, and I'm like, what? Am, you know, once again, I have to look back to skateboarding revelations or begin in 84, and I'm like, this is to provide for my family. This is to get me a a series on Lifetime Network. Hell, maybe they will release this film. I've done the world's first Lifetime in the Making documentary film. Yeah. They're a documentary company, so they will be, they will be contacted, you know, i Maybe they'll spit in my face, I don't <laughs> or laugh, or maybe they'll go, yes. But, you know, it's, again, life's about taking chances, following your dream, and uh, at least knocking on the doors and seeing if they open, you know, because there's nothing else you can do. You, you have to max out everything you've got. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love the way you said that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily religious, but I take a lot from religion. Like, I pay attention to it and the teachings and... And, like, it's helped me out a lot. I've just never really, like, been, like, I am religious, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, you know, me, because I, I rarely talk about religion, not with anybody. And, you know, I don't sit around reading the Bible, and I don't go to church on Sundays, you know? I'm, I'm, I was raised doing those things, for sure. But as life gets as busy as it is, you know, my prayer is in my head at night, you know, quietly for five, ten minutes or whatever, you know, it's... Not one of those, you know, my father was different. He's a very active, proactive Christian. And uh, we hold hands and we close eyes and we say the Lord's Prayer every night at the dinner table before we eat, you know, that kind of thing. And for me, you know, people are like, you're Christian? You swear all the time? You rarely say a sentence without the word fuck in it? And you smoke weed and you make horror films and you're a Christian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> Once again, you can't put a label on a specific type of how a Christian should be. Because a Christian or a non-Christian or a atheist or non-atheist or whatever, we're all allowed to be our individual personalities, regardless, you know. Yeah. There's inherent things and common sense rules to follow through life, but, you know, why have to live, like, once again, in a box of rules, you know, in order to enjoy what you enjoy life. Yeah. So, let's, let's go back to films, the horror films, like, 
what turned you on to horror? Like, how'd that first film come to be? And what are you doing with it? I saw the website and all that. Like, how'd it start and where did it progress to? Well, the love of horror, uh, I'm, I'm going to again say because my sister being older and being the dark person she is, obviously was navigating the horror before I was. <laughs> so I just grew up with her watching it and loved it right away. From the moment I was four years old, the first thing I, I can remember is... Uh, the movie Westworld, which is a Michael Crichton film from 1976 about people going to a futuristic resort where the people are not real, they're robots. <laughs> and you can enjoy life in the old west and you can fire at these, you know, cowboys and shoot them dead, but they're really robots. Nothing can possibly go wrong, go wrong, go wrong, go wrong, you know. And yeah. it's one of those movies, everything goes wrong. And, and I was so enamored with robots and machines and I put all that into my thinking my skateboarding and all that stuff is just, I was like, wow, man, I want to make movies. I want to make movies right now after seeing Westworld today. So I want to make movies, damn it. So I kept watching and watching. By the time I was old enough to think of my dad's Super 8 film camera, like I said, in 1970s or early 80s, and start making them, the love, of course, went beyond anything I could ever imagine because I actually shot, filmed, and and I'm here, I am watching it on the wall of projector in, in the late 70s. Uh, the little three-minute silent film it in, I'm like, wow, this is magic. So naturally thinking, if you keep honing your skill and getting better and you never stop, one day you will have, you know, X, Y, Z. Uh, so the obsession with horror began with Westworld in 1976, Dad taking us to see Jaws on the theater that same year in 76. And from there, it just went Absolutely wacko. By the time Friday the 13th Part 1 in 1980 came on cable, my life changed 100%. And anyone that's talking to me about film, I don't hear this in skateboarding, of course, but any interview that ever comes in film goes, you talk about Friday the 13th more than anyone on the history of this planet. How do you feel? And I'm like, I love that series. Of course I'm going to talk forever about it. <laughs> it's what inspired me to become a director, a filmmaker, an actor, a producer, a special effects artist. After seeing that particular part one, I ran off and made two, three, four, five, six, and said there was going to be 13 Friday the 13th movies before there was even a part two in 1981. And here we are, 2018, and they're up to 11. So I've got a life goal in the making, and that is I'm going to direct part 13. Damn, that'd be sick, that would be actually, sick. Which I actually did do as a 17-year-old kid. I made a full two-hour film, my first feature I ever directed, and I called it Friday the 13th, Part 13, The Final Destruction, and at that time, it was 1989, so there were eight Friday the 13ths in existence. The one that had just come out while I was in the middle of making Part 13 was Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, where they put him in New York, not Crystal Man. So I tried to incorporate everything I could. I play Jason and... Four other hockey mess killers, because we have the mother who was a killer in part one, there was an imposter in part five, so and then we introduced Jason's father somewhere in the series, so we got four hockey mess killers, and a kid with telekinetic mind powers who's the son of this girl from the actual part seven, and now he's fighting Jason and these other three hockey mess killers, and it's just like this ultimate showdown, and it ends in pyromania, explosions, and 17-year-old kids making this film happen, so I did that, and I made it happen. And to this day, you know, of course, it's got, you know, flaws. It was a 17-year-old kid making it. But to this day, it's the most film that I've watched more than any because I see how powerful the effect was on that series that it made me go out and do this and make try to make this really epic thing. And in a lot of ways, you know, despite the flaws, 
I feel like it's one of the strongest films I've ever made in my life because, again, that newness and that freshness and that creativity that boomed right there was almost untoppable. And I thought, well, if then the real life goal should be to do this again for the studios, for the theater. And I have to be the shoe, I have to make myself the ultimate shoe in to do this by making this 34-year-long film, which says I want to direct Part 13 for real, and it will cover all these things that we're talking about, and try to really get my name out there in the spotlight in the horror genre even more so that people start associating me with Friday the 13th to such an extent that they go, get this guy to do it. He's a massively epic fan, and he directed the first Friday the 13th fan film ever, and now there's like thousands of them. But I did the first one, and I have yet to post it. No one even knows. But Part 13, actually, from what I've researched, is the first Friday fan feature. Wow. So all these, like, little goals. So it all began with Friday the 13th, and I suppose it will end with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's epic, dude. That's so sick. Yeah, I think the, the key would just be to create the co- content, put it out there, and share, and connect with other people that are just as passionate about it, because they'll see it, they'll relate, they'll put it up on the pedestal and share it, because they'll be, on their, be able to understand it, you know? Yeah. That's a good side of the internet, I guess, is that you can put that out there and at least reach those people and connect and, like, show, and then you guys can relate, and, you know, that's crazy. The internet chips me out in that sense. There's just the fact that we can talk, and, you know, we weren't able to do this as easily before. Now we're looking at each other talking over this thing, like... I know, and and once again, to, to think back uh, of the days before all of this, and me knowing that this was going to happen... At those times, even though I knew it was going to happen, I couldn't fathom it. I was like, is it really going to be something to fit in our hands, or is it going to be some giant thing we have to put in a suitcase and carry with, you know, like a laptop? I, didn't, I couldn't picture this, but, you know, here we are, and we're doing it, and, and technology just goes on and on, and it blows my mind, and now we're about to step into augmented reality, virtual reality, and 3D virtual reality filming all around our heads. So Yeah, people can just... just get, seems like people could leave their bodies and go into these digital rabbit holes and just, it's scary. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a fucking tool, you know? It's just like anything. I say this a lot, but like on the podcast, I say it like, it's like fire. It's like you could use fire to burn down a village or you could use it to forge steel and build a fucking village. It's like, it's just technology and a tool. It's just how we use it. Humans give things values. Like, that's why I worry about people because you worry about these people that are growing up and they're just fucking angry and resentful and like we got we can't like joe rogan says it a lot he's like we gotta have less losers you know like because the world's too small and we can see each other and connect and it's it's crazy yeah and in a way that's the reason i said i guess that if i were elected president i'd say you know let's go back to the darker ages before social media and internet because really that social media is great but what happens is now we're all so connected and we're so blind, and we, you know, I'm a person that, you know, you can say the most hateful thing of me, I won't let it affect And to me, everyone should be that way. If you're really, you know, cool, don't let things bother you. Sure, they're going to say hateful things, but it just allows people to communicate on such a level that, you know, it allows everyone into everyone's lives. And I guess that's what, where, where the anger sometimes comes from, is, you know, people realize, oh, now I can go talk shit to my the actor that I hated and I go to his Facebook page and go so and so I hated you and the yada yada or whatever mm-hmm. you're tricky stupid you know whatever it is people have the means to talk shit and I'm like well that 
it, it really goes back to, again, what I said earlier about the, the difference between having a positive mindset and a negative mindset. If you're, if you have a positive mindset like me, I've never said a negative word about anyone ever, 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 not once, not ever, period. And I still live by that rule. Like if I see, if I saw a skate trick and whether the kid invented it or not, or whether he landed it clean or this or that, or not, instead of, you know, insulting anything about it, say that was really cool. Um, and now try to pump that person up to either do it bigger or better or why not do this or that or, you know, but just keep focusing on what you're doing. You're doing it good. And, you, you know, because it goes back to, you know, my father. I guess I'm lucky being raised by a loving family that instilled these positive values in my head and not the, you know, hostility, I think, that's going on today. But we lived in an era where parents were able to spend a lot more time and focus. We didn't have Internet and digital apps and all these things that are cluttering our time from true face-to-face socialization. You know, us talking here, this is great because we're actually able to see each other and see each other's emotions and, and, and read each other's reactions. And what happens with social media is that's not there. So people, you know, don't get the sarcasm that somebody might be just being tough. Like, I'm a very calm, cool at all times, and I'll make a funny joke or a silly joke, and I can tell by the reactions on certain people's pages which people are like, okay, yeah, that's just Todd being cool, and other people are like, they could block me over such a thing. I'm like, what? I was just being silly. So it's a, you know, it's a whole mindset that people have, and if they're trapped in viewing and reacting negatively to everything that is put in front of them, those are the types of things that happen, so... If we had, I think, a little less socialization on the internet, I think it would bring value back to the, like I said earlier, the physical products and uh, yeah. sharing of things more and writing letters and putting them in the mail again. You know, those types of things meant a lot to us as, as kids, and they're all gone. Now we just push a button, and the convenience factor, I think, is what's changed a lot of people's thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the way our governments and the way people like the way they do things is kind of builds up resentment and anger, like locking people up for drugs and like doing things ass backwards where that, where you use humans up for profit instead of building them up for profit like that. Like I grew up in the America. I grew up in an America where my mom had issues. She had bad things happen to her as a child and it wired her wrong. And she fell into a drugs and just her whole life was a calamity and couldn't repair herself. And she needed help. But everywhere around was pitfalls and people trying to make money off of giving her drugs to like, and like she ended up so lost and out of control and her wiring was so fucked, you know, like, so I grew up in that America where I was like, dude, this isn't like, this is an amazing place to live, but there's so much freedom and so many snakes out there that people are making a living and track, you you know, you go anywhere and you're like, damn, they just put these places there. There's no regulation. Then the recessions happen and banks rob everyone. And it's like, that's the America I grew up in, and, and but I always I'm not pessimistic or angry because I still believe in that idea that like an individual can make a difference, and you know we just have to realize our own power and move forward, you know. But but yeah, with the internet, it's crazy because people can put themselves in boxes of their own curating, so they can design their world, and they don't have to have anyone uh, counterbalance. It could just be everything they want to hear, everything they want to see. That might make it easy to go talk shit on people if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you just got yeah, everyone rubbing your nuts. The thing about that is that a lot of people say, well, you know, for a person who says there's no box, no rules, you're isolated kind of 
in a, in a box world in a sense, which is true because I've got to focus on this film. So my socialization, you know, for me, this getting out and going places like this or whatever, going out with my wife or daughter. But, you know, I, I avoid the Internet a lot, really, to be honest, because I don't have time for it. I'm so busy doing, doing, and doing that I don't have as much time to get on the Internet. Like, it's rare for me to even answer an email back the same day because there's too many messages, too many accounts, too many people, too many movies I'm producing at once. There, and then there's skateboarding revelations, and there's just project after project. And at some point, it's like, okay... <laughs> Yeah, I, you, I, 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 you, know. you lose yourself. You lose yourself, dude. You just get lost in right. it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's, a, it's what I said before about drugs. The internet's a drug. You got to have moderation. So, you know, I don't know about getting rid of it, but maybe just like we got to be more responsible in our usage and teach people how to use the internet in a sense that like, yo, you got to have some downtime. You know, I watched this movie Ready Player One, and it was pretty sick. And at the end. The people that won the game or whatever, they kind of like shut the internet down for two days. They were like in a big oh, internet what game. Was it called? Ready Player One. Okay. And basically, these kids, there's like um, a video world, a virtual reality world that someone created. And then all these people are playing it because there's an Easter egg. And if you find the Easter egg, you win the whole game. So the whole internet, basically. And then these kids that really cared about the story and the narrative in the world and the reason why it was created and actually gave a shit about it, they ended up winning and inheriting this world. And then at the end, they just, they just said, you know, we're shutting it down for two days out of seven. It's because you need balance, you know, like, <laughs> Oh yeah. That's the thing, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the balance thing. It's, it's tough to balance life when it gets this busy. And, the more we go on with technology, there's more apps and more apps and more apps. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Simplifying seems to be a necessity in my head. Simplify things. I guess that's why we moved out to the country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simplify a little bit. Yeah, true, true, true. Because so, you need negative space as well as positive. Like, you can always be connected, but it's not good. You need to know the opposite. That's just life. It, yeah. helps, it helps smooth the ride out a little bit, too, I feel, as I get older. I'm 35, so, like... I don't know. I I have to be humble, and I I like skated a lot, so my body's destroyed. So I have to be humbled and like kind. I used to always skate all the time, even because I used it as therapy. So like, I would go skate even when I was too sore and I'd end up injured because I was just out there because I didn't know what to do with myself or my thoughts. So I was like, I'm just gonna go fucking skate, and I just skate all the time. But as I get older, I'm getting humbled. I'm like, I gotta get into other things, you know, and it doesn't have to be away from skating, because I, now I do a podcast about skateboarding, like, I can talk about skateboarding, and, and I do, like, skateboard brands, and I do skate events, and it's just, like, you know, I don't know, that goes back to trying to, like, do stuff that you love, and figure out how to keep it in your life, you know, and it's, yeah, it's amazing, sure. yeah, I'm on a mission to do that very thing, you know, once again, with skateboarding revelations, I'm hoping that that will pave the way for me to, uh, keep doing these things. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and another big thing, another, for me, a huge and epic thing is that my whole life I've never done the skateboard horror film. I did it kind of, sort of, as, you know, a teenager, but I've never released one or done one, really. It needs you know, to be done. It out. needs to be done from you. <laughs> right. And uh, so some big things happened recently, and I'm like, okay, well, and after my film comes out, hopefully people will visit, you know, Indiegogo or whatever I'm using to fund this film because this movie needs to happen. I mean, it's uh, it'll be a crazy skate slasher film that won't be stupid. In other words, it'll it might sound silly, 
to describe, oh yeah, I got a skateboard kills people. That sounds silly, right? Well, I shot a trailer. And uh, it's co-starring Rick McCrane. Yes, that sounds sick. It's, and it's total insanity, and it's brutal, and it is fucked up, you know, to say the least. So it, it can absolutely work. So my point is, watch the film, see this trailer, and help us fund this, because uh, I, I, I want to see this film get made. But my plan is to make a skate slasher film with a whole bunch of pros that we have known all our lives from the 80s. So we're looking at, you know, some guys from the Bones Brigade, maybe maybe Steve Caballero was the crazy janitor or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, I do. Janitor, <laughs> you know, with the mob. <laughs> Make everyone a suspect. and that kind of, You know, put a bunch of the famous guys, you know, Lance Mount, uh, Christian Vassoy. You know, lots of famous names I think would be amazing. Somebody, you know, from the 80s, 90s, and present. Like, all the most popular, recognizable names in a skateboard slash film directed by a skateboard horror film fanatic that's done it his whole life. I think it would be a win. Dude, that is, that's already a win in my eyes. Um, so what about the site? What have you been putting up on there? I was checking it out. Like, who are those films? Who Did you make all those? Are those other people collaborating with you? And you're talking about screen time films, right? Yeah, that site. I checked that out. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a label I started back in 1992, actually to release the first film I ever did, which was called Evil Night. And I wound up directing about seven or eight films the first four or five years of making, you know, films for release. So from the early to late 90s, that's all I did. And I wound up picking a bunch of films up from all over the world from other independent filmmakers and adding those to the catalog and distributing those. Okay. And of course, back then it was strictly on the VHS, so every order that came in was for a VHS videotape. And uh, to this day, I'm still selling VHS and quite a bit of it. Wow. To make. Yeah. And so what happened was, you know, then we convert to DVD in the you know, early to mid-90s, and now all the films are on DVD. I'm signing more other titles, plus putting all my old catalog that was on VHS, now remastered on DVD for the first time. Now another 20 years later, everything's on both formats, all formats, yada yada, and on-demand and all that stuff. And I'm still signing films from filmmakers all around the world, and with the Internet, you know, obviously, I'm drowning in, in submissions now. Uh, whereas before, like, one would creep into the mailbox every six months. <laughs> and now it's every day in my inbox, can I submit my movie? And I'm like, yes, but it's going to be a long time before I can get to it. <laughs> you got to understand, i got about 15 movies I haven't even touched that i got to put together that I've already signed. So things are nuts right now, but we're still picking up movies everywhere. Plus, I'm also producing films with filmmakers all around the world. Uh, basically, I've got concepts and titles and I go, hey, would you be interested in directing yada, yada, yada? And if they're interested in doing or sometimes they contact me and say, hey, I, I, I'm a big fan of your movie Evil Night. This, this actually happened. I would love to do a sequel to Evil Night. Evil Night is the first film I ever shot for release to the public back in 1992. And I have a brief role as a skateboarder in it. Yeah. And 25 years later, there's this kid in, uh, I can't remember what state he lives in, but... He is, I mailed him, I literally in the mail, put the mask of the killer in a box from 1992 and shipped it to this guy. He's had it for two years and is winding down on finishing Evil Night 2 called Another Evil Night. <laughs> so we've, I got things like this going on. Sequels, remakes of my movies have been done. It's nuts. So 
I'm trying to put all this stuff together into perspective, bring it all together with skateboarding revelations in hopes that people will uh, be a fan of not just my skate films, but my horror films, and then in turn hear the music and want to buy the new CD. So it's really, it's, everything in my life is movies, music, and skateboarding, and skateboarding revelations is the key piece to put all that together, like so, peanut butter, chocolate, and frogs. <laughs> yeah, all those are delicious. <laughs> Oh, it sounds like you're gonna have a huge digital thumbprint. That's good, man. That's so sick. Yeah, it's 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 the way to make a means to the end at this point. It's uh, I'm trying to build strength up constantly, uh, in hopes that you know I can blow it up, elevate it more, and once again do this skateboard slasher film with Rick McCrank. And like I said, I'd like to bring on many other pros. That'll go out under screen time films, and hopefully with maybe even get picked up by a, a big studio because no one has done what I'm planning to do. Could I suggest a pro skater you reach out to for your horror film? Yes, please. Lizard King. Who is it? Lizard King. His name's Mike Plum, but he, they call him Lizard King. Okay, I've heard, I've heard Lizard King. I'm not sure what era he's from. Let me, hold on. He's He's from my era. So, like... I'm 35, so he's probably, like, either a couple years younger than me or the same age. Okay, yeah, and see, it's, re it's real tough for me to know who skaters are beyond, really, 1990 and up, because once I started making my film, I lost touch with all reality that's gone on around me for the last 30 years, so I only get my information in bits and pieces. I love to see everything, experience it, know it, and I wish I had time to watch everyone skating, but the only way I discover things is when people tell me, like you just did. So well, let me show you. Let me let me show you. Sorry to cut you off, but let me show you a picture of Lizard King because he would be perfect for a horror film. <laughs> well, you know, ironically, that looks like myself back in nineteen ninety four. He's just got like uh, Lizard's my friend, but like he definitely awesome. like he looks like he could be a serial killer at times. Yeah. Sometimes it's complimentary for sure. Yeah, he actually reminds me of a lead actor from a film I did in 1995 called Death Mumps Zombies. I had an actor named Thomas Banton, who sadly committed suicide just two years ago, but he was the lead bad guy in Death Mumps Zombies, and that guy's facial features are very similar. During that time, we all had long hair, and I actually had hair so long I could sit on it. Wow. One if I hadn't lost my hair due to heredity... I would still have that hair all the way down. So now, now I just, you know, got rocking the cue ball and the Rob Halford look, and uh, now I can wear a wig and have long hair anytime I want, right? Hey, <laughs> I, I get it. Look at me, dude. This thing's there's not much up here. <laughs> exactly. I look like my father as I get older, which is nice because yeah. he passed away when I was thirteen. So as I get older, I kind of get to see him again in the mirror. It's strange. It's comforting. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, um. Sick, man. Well, I think we covered it all, dude. This is really fun. Is there anything else? I, I'm trying to think. Can you can you tell people exactly the website and your social media, just so if they want to check out anything we were talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me as Todd Jason Falcon Cook. That's my personal page. And, of course, on Facebook, there's also Todd Falcon Pro Skater. So if you search for that, you'll find the, the actual page for the Pro Skater site. And uh, as far as the main website, there's always ToddFalcon.com, of course, which right now just has a big ad for Skateboarding Revelations, which after 34 years is hopefully coming uh, in the next couple months. The day is coming, so 
Check out all that. And then, of course, www.scream, as in screaming, screamtimefilms.com. That's the horror film website. And we're on Facebook as well. Nice. And same name on Facebook? You there? Yeah. Yeah, it froze up for just a second. I don't know if you got all that. Yeah, I did. That was perfect. It, it came in fine. Um, what was I going to ask you? Um, shit, I'm forgetting now. Either way, oh, I was going to say, when when it drops, dude, come back on the show and we'll do this again. We'll have another conversation. I'm sure we could talk for hours. Uh, yeah, please. I would love it. I, it's been a pleasure and an honor, and a, thank you for contacting me and doing this, and I can't wait to share it, and hopefully people will be listening. Yeah, and dude, also, I just want to thank you for, like, um, not, not giving up on who you are, your essence, or what you believe in, or any of that stuff, because, like... You're, you know, you still have skateboarding in your life, and that that means a lot because it inspires me. I imagine I'll be the same because I can't. As much as the world wants to tell me not to skateboard or to, to like take myself more serious or whatever, it's like I can't not skateboard. So it's like or be around skateboarding stuff, and it seems like you're very similar. So it means a lot that you keep going, man. Yeah, cool. yeah, I hear you. Uh, it's all about maintaining. For me, uh, who I was as a kid and not changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy life. We're put here to enjoy. Who says we can't be kids anymore? Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate it. That all I need, life.